Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Hey, I am pumped to be here this morning. I'm pumped just to be in church. Sometimes it just feels so good just to walk through those doors, doesn't it? And uh, feel refreshed and, um, and I, I'm pumped to be here. I'm also pumped to be here, um, as Jay said, four weeks ago I had a baby. Um, and so I'm really just pumped to be doing something other than feeding a baby, changing nappies and watching old episodes of France. So, you know, and all the mums of newborn babies said amen, right? Like, so I'm just pumped to be here doing something other than that. But mostly, I am pumped to be kicking off this series on the parables. You know, if you're fairly new to the life of Gateway or, or new to this whole faith thing, here at Gateway, um, we really believe that uh, the Bible is the Word of God, the true and lasting truth um, of, of God. And so we take this stuff really seriously. It undergirds everything we do, everything we are, every decision we make um, starts with the authority of Scripture. And uh, what I love about the parables is that uh, these are stories straight from Jesus' mouth. You know, I love to tell a story. I love to hear a good story. And so I really resonate um, with the parables in the Scriptures because this is Jesus telling stories. Um, We're going to look, um, as the video suggested, at Matthew 13 today. And as we look in the book of Matthew, there's these four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which tell the stories of Jesus. And in Matthew, for 12 chapters, Jesus has been teaching just by sort of slapping your face truth. He's just been dropping truth bombs all over the place. And and, and the crux of what he has been saying is that he is God in the flesh, that he is the promised Messiah that the Jewish people have been waiting for, that he is God. God. And uh, he's just been dropping those truth bombs all over the place. And then after 12 chapters of doing that, he, there is a huge shift in his teaching style and he starts to use these parables. They're just simple stories that he made up to make a simple point about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And so over the next few weeks, we're gonna be unpacking a whole heap of these parables. And I'm really excited to be in this series. I'm really excited to be preaching in this series. And um, I'm sure as as the weeks unfold that we'll be encouraged and we'll be challenged um, and we'll fall in love with these stories all over again. So why don't we pray as we begin this series together? God, we thank you so, so much for the scriptures that we have so freely access to. And God, I pray this morning as we open the word together that we would be refreshed, we would be replenished. God, that you would put your spin on the stories that many of us have heard over and over and over and over again. And God, we would be refreshed by the word uh, from your scriptures this morning and into the weeks of this series. And God, I pray that uh, this morning, It would be your message, it would be your words, it would be your heart that we feel in this place. So God, take over this place, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. In 1992, Peter Watling, a simple uh, tenant farmer on a small piece of land, was tending to his crops. He'd rented this field and he'd planted some crops there and uh, just in an effort to put food on the table for his family and turn a small profit. One day um, in this field just outside of Suffolk in England, Peter Watling lost his hammer at the end of the day. 
He realized that it had fallen off his tool belt somewhere in the field of crops. And so he used what remaining daylight he had and then into the evening hours to try and find his hammer because two things came to his mind when he lost his hammer. The first is it's an expensive hammer and he didn't want to spend the money to buy a new hammer. And secondly, he was about to come through with some pretty heavy machinery in that field, and he knew that if the hammer got caught up in the machinery, then that would stuff it all up, and it would be a truly expensive exercise. He needed to find that hammer. But by the time the night had come and he'd had enough, he hadn't found the hammer. So the very next morning, just, before, just after breakfast, he went to a neighbor's house, a guy named Eric Laws, a retired gardener who had a metal detector. And Peter said to Eric, can you come and help me find my hammer? Can you bring your metal detector? And so Peter and Eric walk through the field with their metal detector trying to find the lost hammer. They came across a patch of field and the metal detector went off. So they started to dig. And as they started to dig, they pulled out one silver spoon. They dug a little bit more and they found another silver spoon. They dug a little bit more and they found one gold coin. At this point, they stopped because it looked like these items had some form of antiquity. And the law in Britain at the time said that if you come across anything that might look like treasure, that you had to call the authorities at once. What would you do? <laughs> well, <laughs> I know what you would do, Colin. Well, Peter said to Eric, stop. And he called the local police force, and he called the local council, and within 24 hours, they had set up an archaeological dig site. They dug about a foot and a half down the ground, and they pulled out one of the biggest halls of hidden treasure from the Roman Empire ever to be found on Earth. 14,865 gold and silver coins from the Roman Empire, the biggest amount of coins ever found on earth from the Roman Empire. More than 200 other items, silver, uh, tableware, gold jewellery. It was the, one of the biggest halls ever to be found. It became known as the Hoxney Hall. Huge amount of treasure found. The problem with this was that by British law, treasure that's found on your property doesn't immediately belong to you. It belongs to the family who can claim it. Well, no one could claim this family. No, no family could claim this treasure. And so by law, it belonged to the British crown. But they found out as Eric and Peter watched this treasure be dug out of the ground, put on trucks and taken to the British Museum, they found out that the British Crown will pay you face value for what is found. And so after a, a search committee and a, um, an antiques committee got together and tried to figure out what the value of the Hoxney Hall would be, they immediately transferred $4.5 million into Eric Law's account, the guy with the metal detector. Well, Eric Laws, being a decent human and a good friend, said to Peter and realised that there was no way he was going to be on that land if Peter hadn't asked him to be that morning. He said, that's enough, let's split it 50-50. And I know you're asking, well, did they find the hammer? <laughs> yeah, they did. And Peter Watling decided that day he was retiring and he didn't need a hammer anymore. He donated the hammer to the British Museum and it's on display with the Roman coins. We love a treasure story, don't we? You know, do you watch um, antique 
Roadhouse and hope that people... Roadshow, not Roadhouse. That's a different show. (laughs) Do you watch that show and think, oh man, I hope it's worth something? You know, and then when they find out, it's just so exciting for these people that have had this disgusting, ugly family heirloom in their back cupboard for centuries, and now they're going to be millionaires. We love a hidden treasure story, don't we? Some of you got a blue ushie from Woolworths and thought you had hit the jackpot, didn't you? We love a hidden treasure story. And so did apparently Jesus, because he pulls out this parable all about hidden treasure. And this is what he says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. He says this, if I can find it. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. The kingdom of heaven, stop right there. This is what we call a kingdom parable. Jesus taught these parables and he would often start the parable with the kingdom of heaven is like or the kingdom of God is like. And that is how he started these parables. Back to back to back, he was telling the story of what the kingdom of heaven is or the kingdom of God is. And so then we have to ask ourselves, what is the kingdom of heaven? What is the kingdom of God? And scripturally, the kingdom of heaven is two things. The kingdom of heaven is both a a, a now and a soon. The kingdom of heaven is both a something and a somewhere. The kingdom of heaven is often referred to as heaven, as the place that you will go, the place where I will go when I die. When I take my last breath, I will find myself in heaven. And Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven in that way. It is definitely something that we look forward to. And Jesus talks about that over and over again. But the kingdom of heaven is also a now. The kingdom of heaven is also what the people who are listening to Jesus and certainly what we um, are living in right now, the kingdom of heaven. And if you think about what a kingdom is, if you think about what the boundaries of a kingdom are, it has to have a king, it has to have someone in charge, and the boundaries of that kingdom are where that person has rule and reign. And the boundaries extend as that person or that, that sort of you know, deity or that, that, that uh, ruler sort of extends the boundaries of their kingdom as they take ground from other kingdoms. And then as other kingdoms, other people, other rulers extend upon their kingdom, they lose those boundaries. So the kingdom of heaven is where God is, where Jesus has rule and reign. The kingdom of heaven is where Jesus has rule and reign. And so as Christians, as people that have given our lives to Jesus, have given our lives to God, We live in the kingdom of heaven because Jesus has rule and reign over our lives. So the boundaries that we give over to God are where the kingdom are. And Jesus, in these parables, continually unpacks this idea that the more boundary we give him, the more life we give him, the more kingdom of heaven we live in. And so the kingdom of heaven has these two meanings. It's both a now and a soon. It's both a thing and a, a somewhere and a something. And uh, Jesus uses these parables to unpack what the kingdom of heaven is like. He uses this to, to challenge us to live a life that he would choose for us to live and to live in a way that we know there is another life coming. That's what the kingdom of heaven is. And so Jesus tells the story, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then his joy went Uh, Then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Jesus says, let me tell you what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who lost a hammer. And when he went looking for it, he found treasure. And so he buried it up real quickly. He went away. He sold everything he had so that he could buy the field and own the treasure. Oh, oh, you don't like that one? Let me tell you another one. It's the same story, just different words. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant, a guy who searches far and wide for fine jewelry, a guy who searches far and wide everywhere he can to find the best pieces. And he finds a pearl. It's like nothing he's ever seen before and he just has to have it. And so he goes back to his shop. He wholesale discounts everything, including his shop, so that he can own this pearl. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. So the thing about parables is we're in the parable somewhere. And part of, the, part of the story, part of the, the, the way we have to read and address parables is that we have to figure out who we are in the story. And we have to figure out who God is because he's in there as well. And so if we look at this parable and say, well, we are the ones that have found the treasure and the treasure is the truth of the gospel. The treasure is the truth of who Jesus is. The treasure is Jesus came to earth as God in the flesh, died on a cross to set me free for my sins That's the treasure, and that's who I am. I am the person who, I'm the farmer. You are the farmer who walks into the field, finds the treasure, and sells everything in order to keep that treasure. If that's the way we look at this story, then we have to ask the question, do we really understand the value of what we have? Do we really understand the value of what we have? And I want to take a moment to talk to seasoned Christians here a little bit. You know, maybe you're like me, you're born in church. You know, like my son was here for the first time two weeks ago. He was two weeks old. He, you know, he's going to live his life in church. He's going to hear these stories a million different ways and a million different times. Maybe that's your story as well. And you know, when you first put your faith in Jesus, when you first said, yes, I want to be a Christian, it was exciting. You knew what you had signed up for. You were impassioned. You were envisioned. You were on fire. But now, decades later, have you lost a little bit of that passion? Has the mystery worn off? You know, a number of years ago, I was traveling uh, through Europe with a friend, and um, we, we, we started um, in Scotland. And when we got to Scotland, we were really excited to see these ancient churches. So we arrive in Scotland and the very first church we find, we spend hours, we spent a fortune just to get the entry fee in, then we walk around these old churches and we are just enamored by how incredible this place is. And we're having these incredible faith conversations about how people lived out their faith, you know, centuries ago, and it was just an exciting thing to do. But after about three days of driving through Scotland, we were kind of over churches, There's a buttload. They're everywhere. And so we would drive through Scotland and we would see a sign for an old church and we'd say to each other, you want to go in? We'd see the entry fee and go, nah. We got over it really quickly. 
A friend of mine recently went on a cruise through Alaska and he said um, when, uh, after about day two, they just, they just got up past Seattle and they, um, all of a sudden he heard out the window people screaming and shouting. He walked out on the balcony and he saw whales. And he said to his wife, come out here, babe. I could, I could cannonball on this whale, it's so close. And the boat was heaving with people on that side of the cruise because the whales were right there and people were excited and shouting and taking photos and selfies and getting pumped about these whales. He said he found himself three days later walking down, um, walking down the boat and saw some whales and he thought to himself, geez, I wish those whales would get out of the way so I could see the view. How quickly the excitement of the whales disappeared. How long have you known the mystery and the excitement of being a Christian? And has it worn off? Are you still that passionate? Are you still that on fire? Do you still understand the value of what you have in Jesus? In Mark chapter 10, there's a story that um, is told of a man called the rich young ruler. It's a, it's a guy who's got everything in life. He's got it stitched up. He's wealthy. He's successful. He's noteworthy. People know who he is. He has got this life tied up. He's done. He's good. What keeps him up at night is the next life. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, master, what must I do to get into heaven? And Jesus says simply, go back, sell everything you've got, come back and follow me. And the Bible says the rich young ruler walked away sad because he was a very wealthy man. Go back, sell everything you've got, come back and follow me. And if the rich young, if the rich young ruler had known what Jesus was offering, he wouldn't have gone back. He would have said, he would have called home, put a for sale sign on everything and said, I'm in. Jesus is making a point. Jesus is pushing his buttons. He's saying, you have no idea what I'm offering. You just want heaven. You just want the security. You just want to know that everything is going to be okay. Here, I'll prove it. Get rid of everything you have here on earth. Jesus knows that's going to be too hard because he's holding on to the things of this life. There are things like success, security, Wealth that this guy cannot let go of in order to accept all of what God is offering him. He says, you get what I'm asking for you, but you're comparing what I'm offering to you with what's in your garage. You can walk away sad, you have no clue what you're asking. And he's illustrating this with two short stories. The farmer who stumbled upon it and the merchant who was seeking for it. Both go back and go, I'm getting rid of everything I have on this. Everything I can. Everything that's not tied down is going so that I can own this treasure. And in my Bible, uh, the title of this parable is The Parables of the Hidden Treasure and the Pearl, which is boring. If I got to title this parable, I would call it Heaven, No Losers Allowed. And you're thinking, now, hang on, that's wrong. Jesus loves losers. There's heaps of stories about how the loser wins. Jesus loves losers. What do you mean no losers allowed in Heaven? But here's the thing, when we get to Heaven, if we do life right and we get to Heaven, 
Do you think there is anyone going to be walking around going, oh, I guess it's okay? Do you think there is anyone who is going to be in heaven going, do you guys know what I had to sacrifice to get this? Do you think anyone is going to be in heaven saying, do you know what I had to give up in order to get this dump? That is not what heaven is like. There is not going to be anyone in heaven who is saying anything but, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is where I am right now. Everything that was on earth, everything I built up for myself, everything I held on to, it was worth nothing compared to this. No losers in heaven. There are no losers in heaven. There are only gainers. There are only people who gain. There's no losers in heaven. So are you measuring this life? Are you measuring your faith by the cost or by the loss? Do we see our Christian life as what we lose or what we gain? What we lose, what you have to give up, what you have to sacrifice, or what you've gained? Because here's the thing. If you believe that God is real, that Jesus did die on a cross to forgive your sins and came back to life, ascended to heaven and promises an eternity with him for a life sacrificed and surrendered to him, if you're right, then there's a treasure coming your way. You might even know as a Christian person that you are living a treasured life right now. Others might look at the life you lead as ridiculous. You know, the farmer, the merchant, they must have looked ridiculous. The farmer goes to the field, immediately buries the treasure and goes back and sells everything. People must, I mean, this is not a real story, but it's just something Jesus made up. But if he was real, people would have looked at him and gone, what on earth are you doing? Why are you selling everything you have for a patch of dirt? Why does the merchant sell everything he has for one pearl? They look ridiculous. And others might look at your faith the same way. Others might look at the life that you lead as ridiculous, the sacrifices you make as antiquated. You're doing what with your money? You guys aren't living together before you get married? You're staying together, why? You're doing what on Sunday? It seems ridiculous. It seems antiquated. It seems like in this world, in this life, in this time, in this era, wasteful and stupid. But if you know the value of what you have, and if you're right, then when that farmer unearths the treasure, he's like, hey guys, does it make sense now? If you're wrong about God, about Jesus, about this whole locked and loaded faith of yours, you're going to look ridiculous. But if you're right, what treasure we have in this life. And if you're right, what treasure awaits in the next. So let me ask you really simply this morning, if you're a Christian here, if you've been living your faith maybe for decades like me, are you living like you have found the treasure Or are you holding it at arm's length, wondering if it's worth it to lose something you've been holding on to? 
Are you living like you found the treasure? Are you impassioned? Are you on fire? Are you excited? Are you willing to let go of anything that might hold you in this life? To accept and hold on to the treasure that is the truth of the gospel. So that's one way to look at this parable. Here's another. What if we're not the ones who find the treasure? What if, in this story, as we try and figure out who we are in this story, what if we are the treasure? You know, Jesus is right in the middle of these sort of back-to-back kingdom parables. He's sort of telling these stories back-to-back-to-back-to-back, and the disciples are sort of following him through. And if you go back to verse 37, where he's in the middle of a different parable, the disciples come up to him and they say, Jesus, can you explain to us what you mean by that parable? And this is what he says in verse 37 and 38. He says, he answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the, what does it say? The field is the world. The field is the world. So the farmer, if this parable is the same as the last parable that Jesus told, the farmer walks into the field. If the field is the world and someone has to redeem it, it can't be us that are the farmer because we've got nothing to redeem it with. But Jesus came to earth to redeem the world, to save the world. So maybe in this parable, What if we're the treasure? Who is it that's come into the world given everything they have to redeem it? It can't be us. We can't redeem the world, but God can, Jesus did. Ah, that's a different way of looking at the parable. Maybe Jesus is saying on this day, let me tell you, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is, well, let me tell you who you are in spite of who you think you are. It's like a man who sees a treasure in the field and gives everything he's got to redeem it. Gives everything he's got, everything that is precious to him, everything that has value to him, he gives it up to own that treasure. So that treasure would belong to him. If the world is that field then Jesus is talking about himself. Jesus is saying, let me tell you a story about how I view you. Ephesians 2.10 is my favorite verse in the Bible. You might even say it is my life verse if you have one of those. Mine is Ephesians 2.10. It says this, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handiwork. Other translations translate that word handiwork into the word masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. The Greek is a word called poema. We are God's poema. It can literally be translated as poem. We are God's handiwork. We are his masterpiece. We are his love letter. We are his treasure. Is that how you view yourself? As treasure, as a masterpiece, as a work of art, as a poem? Let me tell you why this is my life verse. Because too often I look in the mirror and I see a hammer. 
You know, I've been a Christian for a long time. I've accepted that Jesus died on the cross for me. But I often see myself as a hammer, as, sure, worth searching for, but mostly because if I get caught in the machinery of the world that I'm going to stuff stuff up. I look in the mirror and I see everything that's wrong about me, all the sin that's left, the, the inadequacy, or the things that I do wrong, or the places I come up short, or the things that I am not, or the things that others are and I cannot be. And I don't see myself as God's handiwork. I don't see myself as God's masterpiece. I see myself as more trouble than it's worth. But God says, no, 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 no. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who entered a field and found a treasure and was willing to give up everything he had, everything he had, everything in order to keep that treasure. I am not just something that could get in the way. I have purpose. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I am not just going to get in the way. I am not just something for God to look at. I am his hands and his feet. God wants to use me. He has gifted me. He has placed things inside me that he hasn't placed in any other human on earth. I am his treasure. And when he looks at me, he doesn't see inadequacy. He doesn't see sin. He doesn't see all the things that I see in myself and find myself coming up short. He sees treasure. He sees a masterpiece. He sees a poem. He sees his creation, his handiwork. And he says, I'm going to use her. Man, have I got stuff for her to do in the name of Jesus. Is that how you see yourself? When you wake up in the morning and look in the mirror, do you see yourself as treasure, as something that God would send his only begotten son to this earth to die a painful and horrific death for? Because that's the truth about who you are. That's the truth about who you are. You are the treasure. You are who God has created. And God doesn't make junk God doesn't make junk. I'm going to get the team up now. Do you see yourself as the treasure that has infinite value? That God would send everything he's got to redeem, to buy back, to own? Do you walk in the knowledge and the understanding that you belong to God, that you are treasure? Or are you walking through life like you're a hammer? Sure, worth searching for because it'd be expensive if you got lost. But mostly you just get in the way in the machinery of life. Do you look at your inadequacies and think I'm not enough? Do you look at the mistakes you've made and think, I can't get past this? Do you look at the life that you lead and think, this is worthless? Do you look at the walk that you are walking in your faith and think, I can't wait to get to heaven because I am useless? 
because I'm here to tell you, and the word is unmistakable, you are God's treasured possession. When God looks at you, He sees perfection. Why? Because He created you. You are God's masterpiece, His handiwork. You were found before you were even lost. You were loved before you weren't. But God loves you so much that He doesn't want to leave you where you are. And God is calling you to own the treasure that's within. Is that how you walk through life? Is that how you believe God sees you? You are the treasure. Love came down and sold everything to buy the deeds to this world. To have you belong to Him in this life and in the next. So you might ask, which one is it? Which way should I look at this parable? And I think if you ask Jesus that, He would say yes. I think He would say yes, it's both, it's and, it's all. Maybe there's other ways to look at it that I haven't unpacked this morning. But what is the challenge for you today? Do you need to lay down some things in your life that you've been holding on to to accept fully the reign and rule of Jesus in your life? Or do you need to accept that you are God's masterpiece? You're not just a part of the world, but a purposed treasure for Him, for Him to use and to love and to work on until you get to the gates of heaven and touch that sign that says heaven, no losers allowed. And hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. What's the challenge for you? What is it that you are holding on to in life and you're missing out on the treasure of the truth? What is it that you can't shake off? And then when you look at yourself in the mirror in the morning, do you see yourself as a son or a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Do you see yourself as God's masterpiece? Or do you see yourself as someone who doesn't quite add up, who falls short? Heaven, no losers allowed. This parable says we are the treasure and there is treasure in the truth of the gospel. Would you stand with me? The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who walked into a field and unearthed some treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who found a pearl that was so very valuable that they sold everything they had, the most important things, the most valuable things, everything they had to possess that treasure before them. What is it in life that you're holding on to? Is it success? Is it wealth? Is it worth? 
Is it acknowledgement? Is it some form of sin that you just cannot shake? And you're missing out. What is it that first draw you to Jesus, drew you to Jesus? What is it that you first impassioned your heart? What is it that first envisioned your life? Have you lost that? Has it become less mysterious, less exciting? And how do you get it back? What's getting in the way? Or are you standing here this morning and you know that Jesus died on the cross for you? You've known that for a long time. You understand the truth of it. You've accepted that it's kind of hard to understand and that you're not worthy and whatever. But you don't see yourself as a treasured possession of the Lord. You see yourself as someone who might get in the way. So you've kept a low profile because you don't think you're good enough. Maybe God has laid things on your heart for you to do, for you to achieve, for you to work through. And you said, no, I couldn't do that because I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes to do that. Well, I believe God would say to you today, that's garbage. God doesn't make junk. You are His treasure. You are His masterpiece. You are His workmanship. So we're going to sing and I'm going to get the prayer team to come to the front now. And if you're here this morning and you know you have to lay something down, maybe it's something that's getting in the way of you uh, receiving the full and true gospel of Jesus, or maybe it's yourself. Maybe you need to lay down your feeling of inadequacy, your feeling of self-doubt, your feeling of of low self-worth and say, I'm gonna step into the truth that I am God's treasured possession. And I'm not gonna walk through life being held back by my inadequacy, being held back by my sin, being held back by the things that I have told myself, being held back by the things the world have told myself, they've told me. I'm gonna walk in the truth that I am God's treasure. If that's you this morning, I wanna invite you to come down the front and be prayed for. We're not gonna do anything weird or spooky down here. You just need to come down the front. Someone's gonna lay hands on you. They might ask you your name and they're gonna pray that you would know and and be revealed to that truth this morning. And you would walk out of here with a new life, with a new view of the mirror tomorrow morning. So the team's gonna come and they're gonna sing. And if that's you this morning, if you know that you need to say that prayer, that you need to believe that belief, that you need to lay down whatever it is that you need to lay down, I wanna encourage you to come to the front and be prayed for. Thanks. We hope you've been blessed by this message from Gateway Baptist Church. We're a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.